Hey nerds, welcome to episode 443 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Uh, This is Adam, just me today. Uh, Hope you guys are having a lovely Monday, if that's when you're listening to it. Uh, Recording this very early on Monday morning, so you might hear my coffee maker or my dogs uh, bark while they're sleeping, or the garbage people, you know, just all sorts of uh, stuff going on where there's potential noise in the background. Uh, Today's episode is a conversation I had with Brad Meltzer, uh, my good buddy. Um, I have lost count of the amount of times that Brad has come on. I think at this point it's for just about every book that he writes. Um, And he is just, I I, kind of get to call him a friend now. He's, he's, we've been talking for years. He was on the first year the, the podcast existed and at least once a year since then. Uh, today we're talking about his latest book, The Lincoln Conspiracy. Um, if you read the first conspiracy, which was all about the plot to kill George Washington, um, this is in the same vein about a plot to kill Abraham Lincoln. Um, not the one that was successful when he was assassinated, but there was a one much uh, earlier in his, uh, in his career. And it's just an amazing story. Uh, him and Josh, who is his uh, writing and research partner for these books, they, there's no one better. They're, they're fabulous at unearthing small, interesting facts and doing the work to find the stories that are worth telling. And they write them in such a way where it just it feels like it, it feels like a thriller. It's, it's a phenomenal book. Um, He's just, there's, like I said, there's no one better. Brad is just the, the best. Um, sometimes I feel like there's podcast episodes that we do with um, you know, really well-known people or debut authors where it's like, oh, well, this one definitely, you know, our, our listeners are going to love. Or like maybe sometimes we'll do one as a part of a program that Overdrive is doing. And it's like we're working with a, a publisher to make sure that we're promoting that uh, that you know, that thing going on. <laughs> These, anytime I talk to Brad selfishly, I feel like it's just for me. Uh, it's just for me and him. I hope you guys enjoy it, but I mean, it, it's Brad and I getting to catch up and talk about Muppets and just, it's like talking to an old friend every time I get to do it. So yeah, that's, that's today's episode. Uh, if you want to get a hold of us, you can always find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds. Uh, you can shoot us an email, professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Uh, and you can just go to professionalbooknerds.com and find all of our old episodes. Um, if you're not currently subscribed, you can subscribe there. Uh, you can see some old photos, all, all sorts of stuff on professionalbooknerds.com. There's a search bar in there. If you just want to search for a specific author, see if we have them in our archives. Um, yeah, I mean, you can do whatever you want on there. Uh, also, in case you missed it, over the weekend we released a bonus episode on Friday. Uh, about two weeks ago we did a very special <laughs> very special episode. Uh, we did a very special uh, live book recommendation uh, webinar with our friends at the Reading Glasses podcast where the four of us got together and did live book recommendations for people and then uh, we got a lot of great feedback so we decided to re- release that as a bonus episode so if you need even more recommendations that's a fun unique thing that we did. And um, if you're interested in that, if you want us to do it again, uh, the ladies over there, Mallory and Bria, um, told us they'd be happy to do it, and we'd be happy to do it as well. So we can always do that again. So let us know. Um, We don't want to set up a webinar if there's not a ton of interest, but if there is, we'll be happy to do it again. Um, I think that is just about everything. I hope you guys are out there doing all right. Um, I've said this just about every time, but if you need a specialized recommendation or you just want to send us a message on, on any of the platforms just to say, hey, let us know. We can, you can reach out and 
we're here if you need anything. So, um, okay, that's just about everything. Uh, I know you guys are going to love this. One of the uh, all-stars of the Professional Book Nerds podcast, uh, Brad Meltzer. Like I said, truly no one better. So, yeah, hope you guys enjoy this conversation all about the Lincoln, Conspir- the Lincoln Conspiracy with Brad Meltzer on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. <laughs> this on april 13th and who knows by the time if your book comes out if we're all going to be back to normal life so i guess just like how has this stay-at-home time been for you yeah i mean when when you when you're writing a book about one of the great you know crises in american history and then suddenly you feel like you're living through the next one um yeah no it just seems like just another normal day here right i mean this is madness for all of us um you know i i, I make my living trying to tell thrillers and, and comb through history and find amazing moments so we can learn and be better people. Uh, and suddenly you are faced with like, not a want to learn those lessons, but a need. And, and we as a culture right now, we're in, we're in a crisis. And I, I don't think any of us are ever going to forget what it's like to be on lockdown, to be worried about shaking hands or high-fiving or all those things. So um, the other part I'd add to it is now everyone has the writer's life. This is what <laughs> it's like. You sit at home every day. And you talk to your imaginary friends. So are you able to be productive? Because I've asked a few writers and like, I know I, for a lot of us at our office, like we're all at home, obviously. And some of us are stressed and others are being able to be productive. Like, are you able, because like you said, it's not too different for the most part. Like, are you able to still be productive? No, I'm not. Like, I mean, I'm trying to be, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm certainly giving it my all, but it, you know, the one thing, at least for me, to, to write is you kind of have to make the world fade, fade away. Hmm. I always say that I can write anywhere as long as I'm just writing in the same place over and over. Eventually, and why? Because I just want, like, if I went to a different place every day, I'd look at that new place and say, oh, look at that tree over there, or look at that person over there, or look at that something over there. And I would just, I need everything to kind of go away so I can enter my imaginary place. And when you have the world like this, um, it's just hard to make the world go away, right? We have, you know, our kids are home. My wife is here. Like, you know, it's just a, it's a different thing. So I'm, I'm trying my best, but it's just, it is obviously a hard time for, I think, for the whole culture to focus suddenly. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, we're going to get into your latest book about uh, Lincoln in a second here, but like when you're working on a book, like the Lincoln conspiracy or the first conspiracy before it, or, you know, a lot of the adult stuff that you write involves what I can only imagine is a lot of research. Like, are you able to do your research from home or is that something where you're usually going to, I think I've told you this before, but I imagine you very much like Nicolas Cage in the National Treasure movies, just like going to archives. No, no, that's exactly how my life is. I'm literally like Indiana Jones and Nicolas Cage combined. I crawl through (laughs) spider webs and I find amazing arcane facts and then, I present them to the world. That's totally my life. You've you know, nailed you it. La- I'm um, you, you laugh, but before I knew we were like when we, I knew that we were going to be talking. But my wife and I, when the uh, stay-at-home stuff started here in Ohio about a month ago, like we watched National Treasures, and I said out loud to her, I was like, "You've never met Brad, but I feel like this is his life." No, no. Let you know what the funny thing is when I'm researching the books, um, and really oddly more the thrillers than anything else. That I, this will sound crazy. It's certainly not my life is stealing the Declaration of Independence, but you better believe I'm out in the National Archives. Like I went there and they showed me 
like secret rooms. They showed me like places no one knows. We went to like, I was like asked every employee, like if you're going to steal the declaration, where would you do it from? Like we went through all those places. So that is, you know, I went, I remember going to the U S Capitol for one of my thrillers and um, someone in the curator's office literally took me crawling through the catacombs below. Like I was wearing a suit mm -hmm. just covered in dirt. And it really was that moment. But those are kind of the research trips um, for the Abraham Lincoln book. You know, I mean, this is a book, a nonfiction book about a secret plot to kill Abraham Lincoln that failed um, that happened at the start of his presidency. And, and I, you know, I guess I can really get into like, full mode of, you know, there's certain things you want to go to, you want, you know, that you want to see, but the truth is you can't see most of it anymore. Yeah. You can go to Illinois, you can go to some of the, you know, but, but it's not like the modern stuff. So that the, the history research, when it goes back to 1860 and the election there is, it's a good old fashioned library. It's the good old fashioned research. It's not about um, crawling through catacombs as much. So, okay, so where did you originally find this story? I, I know that, you know, we talked about the first conspiracy with, with George Washington. And like, that was something I had literally until I read your book, I had never heard of this one. I feel like I've seen it in a history book somewhere before, or maybe it was on Decoded with you. Like, where did you? Right, right. That's the thing is like, I definitely think I, I, I could, you know, with the George Washington, with the plot to kill George Washington, I could tell you like where exactly I was the first time I saw it because it was so crazy. Mm -hmm. With this one, I, I think it was around the time of Dakota when we were doing the Lincoln assassination episode um, that it first came on my radar and I just couldn't shake it. And then full credit to Josh Mensch, you know, the co-writer of the book with me, um, who when he and I went looking back at kind of arcane Lincoln moments, um, we just kept going back to this one. And, you know, it's just one of the, you, you, it's one of those ones that once I tell you, you never forget it, right? Because right. the first time you hear such a great, like if I tell you that, yes, yes, I know we all know that John Wilkes Booth shot Abraham Lincoln and killed him. Um, but did you know that, you know, that was in 1865. Did you know that in 1860, right as Abraham Lincoln was elected, that he was so hated by the South that there was a secret society that actually plotted to kill him. And, uh, and they actually tried to, and the Pinkerton detectives and Kate Warren, America's first female private eye, all jumped in and saved the day. And they put him in a disguise and they put him on a speeding train in the middle of the night and they saved his life. And that's how Abraham Lincoln arrived in Washington, D.C. to be sworn in as the 16th president. Then you go, wait, that's a really cool story. And, and, as a, and, and for me, I was like, I'm not forgetting that. I'm not going to forget that. So then, you know, for us, that was, uh, I can't pinpoint the day, but, and it was an unforgettable, you know, story to ever lose. Yeah. So when you and Josh are working on these books, and I don't remember if I asked you uh, the first time around, so if I did, I apologize. And if I did, and I don't remember, but you did remember it, that's a really good memory on your part since you do a million of these interviews. But um, how does it work writing together? Because you have experience, obviously, writing thrillers, but this is nonfiction, however much like the first conspiracy, like you write this very much in a, a, a mode that if someone didn't know, like someone could imagine this as historical fiction, as a thriller. So when you're working together, like, is it um, chapter by chapter? Or is one of you going into a chapter and kind of changing it around? Like, I'm curious what the dynamic is as compared to when you're writing a thriller by yourself. Yeah, you know, and it is a different dynamic. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, just full credit, Josh is just one of the best researchers I've ever come across. And what I love about his research 
is, you know, everyone always says, well, what are you looking for? Whenever I go to the, you know, if I go to the, whether it's the White House or the Supreme Court or the Capitol or anywhere I've ever researched in my career, the first question people say is, well, what are you looking for? And I always say the same thing, which is, it's the Supreme Court definition of pornography, which is, you know, when you see it. Yeah. I'll know when I see it. I don't know what I'm looking for. You show me cool stuff. I'll tell you what's really, really cool about it. And some things are cool and some things are boring. And Josh and I just have, um, and it's, it's what I really, I think we rely on more than either of us realize is we both have that same feel for what we think is the cool stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's a moment in the book where right after Abraham Lincoln is waiting to hear of whether he's been elected or not. And he goes and basically is playing a handball on the back of the building where he works. It's just a really cool moment of that's where he's standing when they tell him, hey, man, we think you won. Or, you know, that he finally wins the presidency and he's getting ready to leave to go to Washington, D.C. And he goes to visit. He goes home. He goes to visit his, his stepmom who, you know, just he loves and adores and wants to see before he goes off because he has a, a fear of what's going to happen to him when he takes off. And that she tells him in that moment, she says when he leaves, I fear I'm never going to see him again. Mm-hmm. I think he's going to die. And she's absolutely right. And those moments are like where I go, okay, that, you know, Josh and I just agree on it. Because you can always fight about what the cool moment is, but we just see it a lot. Mm-hmm. But in terms of real process, to answer your question, um, it, it, it starts slow. So we always start with like, okay, let's look at the first chapter together. And he'll do, he always does, you know, first draft and then I'm kind of like going back over it. And once we get the first chapter and we get the first feel, then we'll do like the first 20 pages or the first 25 to 50 pages. And then once we get that, like, then I feel like we're off to the races. Mm-hmm. And then, we, you know, we, we plotted it out. We know what it is. Like um, I knew from the, on the first conspiracy, I kind of knew what I wanted it to be. And he was kind of helpful in figuring it out as, as I had this clear idea. I think the nice part of doing the Lincoln conspiracy has been that he really, he's been through it once before. You know, when I, when I first approached him, Josh was, is an award-winning documentarian who was our executive producer on our TV show for the History Channel. And I said to him, I have this idea, I have this story that I found about a plot to kill George Washington. You want to write a book with me? And he was like, I've never written a book. I'm like, you'll be able to do it. I know you can do it. But for this one, he'd already done a book. So we, we kind of figured our process out more. Mm-hmm. And we were able to kind of really trust each other more in a bigger way. We had been through the process. So I think for each of us, it was, you know, we, we could each do what we, we are good at. He's really good at research. I'm, I hope I'm really good at taking it and turning it into a thriller. Like I am definitely going through and you know, and he has them a lot of times, but I'm obviously adding a ton of cliffhangers and giving it that feel so this uh-huh. it has an urgency that that really moves i'm curious so much like when you said you're like you know a cool fact and you see it when you're researching a story like this like is there a certain point that you get to when you're doing the research where you're like okay we have enough factual things that have happened to tell a full novel's worth of a story like is there a certain point that you're like okay we're good now now we can start writing it or do you like the moment you see a story like this, I imagine, and you don't have to tell me because if you're working on some, you, I imagine you can't talk about it, but I imagine there's assassination plots for a lot of presidency that none of us know about. But like, is there a certain point, a certain amount of data that you have to be able to collect to say like, okay, this is a great story and there's enough to tell a, a full length book about it? Yeah, no, no, I can tell you with the Lincoln one. I mean, you know, we were just, Lincoln had a couple of them that were like really interesting that were kind of these side stories that involved him. 
Um, and it's not about, oh, we have enough information, we have enough data, let's just start a book. Because mm -hmm. otherwise, you just write an encyclopedia. Mm -hmm. And what's the funny, you know, I could just vomit a lot of data to you. It doesn't make a good book. <laughs> um, I think for Josh and I, what we really, really responded to with this one was that, uh, is that the story of this failed assassination plot to kill Abraham Lincoln unfolded as the Civil War was starting. Mm -hmm. And as a result, when we looked at the kind of just, we didn't even know what all the facts were yet. But when we looked at it, we saw that like the country was divided. Half the country hated the other half. They thought the other side was full of crap, whatever side you were on. Does that sound familiar to you? Uh, yeah, just a little bit, right? Right, so that's how we reacted. And we were like, wait, we can tell not just this, you know, it's very titillating to say we found the secret plot to kill Abraham Lincoln that failed. Mm. That's great, it makes a great book. But to me, what makes the, any story great from just a good story is your favorite stories. And I know you well enough, you know, not just your love of the Muppets and other things, but like <laughs> is, is I know you're tasting some really good books, but the stories that you and I both love and that we share are not stories about other people. The mm -hmm. stories you love most are the stories that tell you something about yourself. Right. And to us, what this story let us do. And I remember, you know, Josh, as we was writing back and forth, when we were doing the early, early, early research was we felt like this could have the context of where the culture is right now. This is what it's like to be in a nation divided and to see what it's like to have someone who unites us as opposed to, you know, cleaves a big giant butcher's, uh, you know, uh, knife in between us. Like, and that is what, where the culture is right now. We need someone who will unify us. We need someone, we need a, a hero like Abraham Lincoln right now. Um, and had, we obviously had no idea that we were gonna be in the throes of a virus and something that was gonna be even more scary. Yeah. Um, you know, we were like, well, never top the Civil War for fear. And then suddenly <laughs> here we are. So for us, that's what it really was important to look at is that kind of bigger picture, not not just data facts, but like, what does it say about the culture and where we are right now? Well, and I think not only that, you mentioned, you know, kind of needing someone like Lincoln and, and making, but I, I think what you guys, and this is going to be one of my classes to give you a compliment without really asking a question. So sorry in advance, but Something that I think you do so well is you do take this person like Abraham Lincoln, who feels larger than life. Like he, you know, he's on our currency. He, there's this just massive, you know, statue of him in DC and all this stuff. And you may, you find a way to make him relatable and humanize him. And you mentioned like the, the handball aspect in, in this book. And even like in the, in your children's book, I am Abraham Lincoln. Like you tell the story about the turtles stories, I think in, the children's book where like he sees kids like basically being mean to an animal and like it finding these little nuggets like I, I have to imagine that's an integral part of telling these stories is like finding these things that make them you know it's not just Abraham Lincoln who you know did the Gettysburg address it's Abraham Lincoln who was just messing around when he found out he was going to become the president like there's these important aspects that humanize these people as well that you have to find. And, and listen, that's what we all are. I mean, I can say, you know, uh, about myself, I can say, okay, here's a writer. Or I can say, oh, you know, here's my friend, Adam, who he does podcasts and he works, you know, with great, you know, he, he loves books and is, and is nerdy about them as we are, mm -hmm. but that doesn't tell us anything about you. Yeah. You know, the most revealing thing you've said in this entire podcast, and I know you, but for people who don't know you is like what you share with your wife. Mm -hmm. right? You suddenly revealed, oh, you're in love and someone loves you. 
and you're really open about what you love with that person. That was the most revealing thing you've said beside, you know, that you love books and things like that. Like the details of our lives are what make us who we are. And so, it, you know, we, we tend to reduce Abraham Lincoln into this giant statue we go see in Washington, D.C. You know, if you woke just about any American up in the middle of the night, you, you snuck into their house at three o'clock in the morning, you shook them and, and you said, what did Abraham Lincoln do? You have to answer right now. They would go free the slaves. Mm-hmm. Right. They were just all blur free the slaves. And we've kind of like, as Americans are conditioned to like learn and blurt out factoids about people. Um, and listen, a wonderful accomplishment that, you know, he worked to end slavery, but that's not who Abraham Lincoln is as a person, if you want to know him. And nor is it fair to just say like he came into office and suddenly said slavery is dead because he certainly wasn't there. It took right. amazing pushes by Frederick Douglass and incredible people to get him to where we lionize him today. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, the mistake we make is we're a country that's founded on legends and myths. And the legends and myths we love most are our own. Mm-hmm. And so we love to tell the story that, you know, Abraham Lincoln is honest Abe and he does all these amazing things and then he frees the slaves and then he's, you know, shot down and at the prime of his career. Is he, you know, and those are nice stories, but it's not the real story. Right. You know, it's not easy to win the Civil War. It's a disaster. And it's a bunch of giant errors, you know, starting with like his inaugural address for the first time where people are like, you're being too easy on the South. You're being too conciliatory. Like it, there's just giant mistakes in there that Lincoln makes and then suddenly learns from and realizes what he has to do. And that complex real story is far more interesting and even more interesting to find that, oh, by the way, he was doing it while they were trying to murder him. And, and one of my favorite moments in the entire book, and I remember when we found it, I was just like, oh, this is it, is it's right after they tell Abraham Lincoln, they finally have enough evidence, they infiltrate the bad guys, they find the secret society that's doing this, and they infiltrate them, and they go to Abraham Lincoln and finally have to tell him, hey, listen, they're trying to kill you, and we got to get you, we can't put you on the train you're supposed to be on. You know, the way that it works is, he, you know, Abraham Lincoln has taken a trip from his hometown in Springfield, Illinois. He's going to go to Washington, D.C., where he's going to be sworn in as the 16th president. Um, If you want to go from Illinois to Washington, D.C. back then, unless you're taking a horse, which he wasn't, you're going by train. There's no cars. And he's taking these trains and switching to different stations to make sure that he goes through major cities and he goes through, you know, obviously Philadelphia and Cleveland, all these places where they love him. But the one place, if you want to go to Washington, D.C., is you got to go through Baltimore. And Maryland at the time, was a slave state. Mm -hmm. They hated Abraham Lincoln there. And he has to go through enemy territory. And that's the moment where they're going to kill him. And so they go to Abraham Lincoln and they say, listen, you go through Baltimore, they're going to kill you there. You can't go through when you say you're going to go through. They all know you're coming. We've got to sneak you through another way. And and they say, you got to skip your event in Philadelphia tomorrow and let us sneak you out. And Abraham Lincoln, one of my favorite moments in the Lincoln conspiracy says, nope, not doing it. Not doing it until, until I do my event in Philly. And they're like, what's going on in Philly? And, he's, and in Philadelphia, he's celebrating the birthday of his hero, a guy named George Washington. Mm-hmm. And he's going to go and speak at Independence Hall. And he's going to, you know, talk about George Washington on, on George Washington's birthday. And it's this wonderful moment. Now, the moment is made even more beautiful because the speech that he gives that day, he literally says, like, if we can, I'm going to paraphrase here and do it a disservice because Lincoln just speaks far more eloquently than I do. But he basically says, if we can't veer to our better angels, so to speak, um, then I might as well be, if we can't be a union here, then I might as well be assassinated. I'd rather be assassinated. 
And what we know when you read the book is he's been told that he's about to be. And I love that he's carrying that weight around with him. That as you know, we think he's going into the be sworn in and everything's great and the country is coming together and, and Abraham Lincoln is we're starting out and, and then the Civil War is going to come. It's not that at all. Three days after he's elected, three days they give him. Three days, South Carolina passes a resolution saying that they're gonna, they want to secede from the Union. It is on immediately. They hate the guy. They're coming to kill him. They're going to murder him. And that's when it's impressive to me. If the story's easy, why should we care? But mm-hmm. when the story's hard and you have those details, now Abraham Lincoln is far more of a better human being than you ever thought. Yeah. Right. Give me two seconds. I have some dogs that are whining in a door here. I'm just going to let them in a room. Okay, okay. Come on. I have that same issue here. Yeah. They, you would think, come on up. Come here. He's uh, almost 10 years old, but you wouldn't know it by the way he's pouting. Um, so speaking of my dog, who is now, this is one of two of them. They have both made appearances in every podcast we have recorded since we started this. Um, and we were joking, like they're one of the ways that we're getting through all of this is being home with them all the time and bonding with my wife. Like, what are some things that you have done to kind of, instead of like focusing about how stressed out everyone is about being home all the time, like what are some of the things that you will look back at as like fond memories when you're hanging out at home all this time? You mean right now? Yeah, just like while you're, you know, being at home, I imagine your kids are probably uh, at home with you a little bit more often than they would be. Like, what are some things you guys have been been doing that maybe in a couple months you'll look back and be like, you know what, that wasn't so bad? You know, listen, I know it sounds so stupid. Um, well, the best things we've done, so listen, we're doing what everyone else is doing. We're playing Monopoly. We're doing jigsaw puzzles, like all the basic stuff. The thing that has been so super amazing to me and you can find it if you go on my Facebook or, or Twitter page or anywhere else, is my, my sons in just a pure moment of utter boredom pulled out like every domino and, and oh, marble and lightsaber and everything they could find in the house. And we're like, let's see if we can do one of those like, okay, go videos where, you know, like it's this great, um, you know, uh, the, the domino has to come down the stairs and hit the thing. And then the thing hits the marble and the marble goes to the hairdryer and the hairdryer pushes the big one. And they, worked on it for like three days. They were busting their butts on it and it worked. And I literally, in my dark moments, I will go back to that video just because I see them. And my kids, like everyone else's kids, you know, has great moments. And then there's moments where they just want to fight and kill each other. But that was one of those highlight moments to me of just that, like just, we did something, we, we, we saw a problem and we figured it out. And I, that I loved. And, and listen, uh, we wouldn't be on professional book nerds if it wasn't just reading, just yeah. reading, just having that calm, you know, we're so focused on our phones we run around and we leave, we run errands, but I just had moments to, you know, I have to fight myself to do it. Cause like all of us, I can just easily go on Twitter and, and fritter the whole day away. Um, but just taking the night and saying, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to watch any more Netflix shows. Mm-hmm. I've watched everything on Disney plus. I'm going to just read my book. And that's just a good thing. I was definitely leading the witness because I saw that video from your sons and I was like, I thought for a second you were just sharing one of those cool videos that people share. And then I realized it was your kids who had done it. And it was one of the cooler things I've ever seen. If people haven't seen that yet, they definitely need to go to your social media because it was amazing. But yeah, no, um, that was a fun one. Yeah. We, um, we actually were just about through, we did like a rewatch of all the Mar- the Marvel movies just kind of off and on. Um, we did them in chronological order though, as opposed to the release order which makes for a my, You know, it's funny you say that. My buddy in Michigan last night 
told me that his son, who's younger, you know, he's like seven years old, was just starting the Marvel movies. And I said, oh, he's in what order? I'm like, what do you mean what order? Put him on. He said, no, we already started. We started with uh, Captain America because it's obviously in the 40s. And I was like, oh, I, I want to argue with you, but I, I get it. Okay, go with that. Like, I, I'm okay with it. You know, I get the Captain Marvel comes before where mm-hmm. she would go, but I'm okay with it. The thing I won't abide, though, is if you show your kids Star Wars out of original airing order, like if you start with episode one, two, three, oh, yeah, that's yeah. just bad parenting. Like yeah. you just, you fail parenting as far as it. Good parenting is you start with four, five, six. And, and ideally you even put months in between them because you make them suffer like you did. So we just last night finally watched the last one. I'm not proud of how long it took us, but just life had happened. And we finally watched it last night. And, uh, my my wife will she'll admit she's on a, a hair trigger right now about like crying and emotional things and I look over and she's just like weeping. It was it was good. I was very, very happy that we waited. It was nice because we've like sort of accidentally stored up all these things to watch during this time that we didn't really realize we were saving. But um, Oh, but you also say like that's the thing is you're right now, we are all on these hair triggers of we're, we're holding back our emotions in the middle of this virus, right? We're trying to hold it together for our kids. We're trying to hold it together for ourselves. We're trying to hold it together for our spouses and loved ones. Um, and you, ha- I mean, if I watched like Rise of Skywalker now, and, and there were moments where I obviously teared up because it's just, it plays to your childhood, right? I feel like I would have been bawling. And, and one of the things that, you know, I can tell you my, I turned 50 years old, uh, basically like a week a week ago and my son made for me um as a gift they got you know family and friends to do little videos for me because obviously we're all in isolation now and um and my son made a video of every sporting event and he's a big sports nut and you know obviously i know the book side of things but he made a video of every sporting event i ever took him to oh wow and when i say when it when he put it on i was sobbing sobbing uncontrollably (laughs) Because I, and I realized, you know, part of it was just, it was my son making me something so beautiful. And part of it was just like, we're just pent up and ready for something to let us get, get it loose. So I can only imagine, I know what parts you're thinking of when you're watching Star yeah. Wars. It's, it's so exactly what you said. Like my, so my uh, father turned 70 the, uh, the past September and we did the same thing. Like we wrote, uh, we found this, my family is, is very literary, which I'm sure you can imagine. And we, uh, so the four children, we all helped put together like 70 reasons why we love him and same thing he uh that stuff we expect him to cry but like something i didn't expect to get teared up for is um yesterday when when we were recording this yesterday was easter and uh my sister surprised me she her and her uh four kids they dropped off um diet easter eggs and like artwork they're all 13 and under it's like artwork that they put together and like dropped it off at our house and like rang the doorbell and like kept a distance and like just that little thing it's it's weird, you know, kind of pulling it back to, to books. Like it's been cool to have conversations with family members about books that we're each reading as like a way to bring us together. And like, that's something I've really been taking away. And I work for a book company and we have this book podcast, but like reading books like this, like when I found out I was interviewing you and about this book, cause my dad, I, I think the only person who liked the first conspiracy more than me on the planet is my father, who has now read all of your books, by the way. And uh, <laughs> very sweet. So when I told him about this, he was like, oh my God, I can't wait to read it. So like, we've been talking about it and I've been telling him about the book and um, he's just excited to kind of talk about it. I feel like that's been something I've really noticed at this time, like this really weird time is like being able to get into a story and then talk about it with someone else has been a really 
unique things. Like, what have you been reading? Like, what you said you kind of reading at the end of the night. Like, what are some of the books you've been getting into? So we've been on a jag. I mean, I'm always reading a lot of nonfiction, which I can't reveal what I'm reading because it's the next I am book, the mm. next kids book that we're working on. But I've just been reading some amazing, amazing biographies of incredible people that you know and love. Um, but what I've also been really reading a lot of is my son, after many, many years, um, finally opened up to reading comic books. And I, you know, credit to the Marvel movies and other things, but he's been kind of just, we've been on a jag of just going back and rereading those incredible works and me just going like, huh, I haven't read that in 15 years. Let me reread that again and finding new things that I never saw before. Mm -hmm. um, so that's been kind of a big, massive part of our reading category here beyond just the normal history stuff that I'm working on. Um, one of my favorite things that's happened to me this year is when I was at the ALA conference in Philadelphia, when we were all still out to travel, I, through an author friend, uh, got a contact at DC and it has been the best thing that has ever happened because they just send me books now. And oh, you're on the comp list. Yeah. Oh, not only that, but like we're setting up, um, I actually have, I know that you can see me on it. Like I have like literally a bunch of them just like sitting behind me at all times. Um, we're setting up like panels that we're going to do via zoom, but it, that's exactly like, it's been a perfect thing to read during this time. Cause I don't have to focus on like a, a 400 page fantasy novel or anything. I can just fall into a world for, you yeah, know, I will tell you, you're going to be ruined by that. Cause we love the complex. I live by the complex and my kids, you know, if you told me at one point when I was younger, okay. So once a month, there's going to be a box dropped at your house and it's going to have all the free comics for the entire month on it. All the money that you didn't have money for to buy, you used to scrimp and save your allowance to go buy. They're all going to be free for you. Like my head would have exploded off my young body. And, and, and it's still done. Every time I get it, I'm like free comics. Cause yeah. I just grew up not having the money or the comics. And so, but my kids, like a stack of free comics shows up at the house and, and it's literally like, you know, my dad used to get uh, free greeting cards because he worked in a greeting card store. So greeting cards were always like, oh, I've seen them. Like, I'm like, guys, free comics. And they're just like, yeah, no, you get them every month. I know. And I'm like, oh, you're missing the magic of this moment. So we've been, I will say, because the podcast, my co-host Jill and I, have been, we, get, we get books sent to us a lot. So that, I'm used to it that way, but it, it, it is still a really cool thing. I have not, it hasn't lost its magic for me. And then what we'll end up doing is my wife will read an advanced copy of something that we got. And then she'll go out and buy like three copies of it for other people. So I'm like, so oh, that's good out. stuff. Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love people who do that. I love when I get a book. What, like I read, you know what I read? I, I finally read, I just hadn't read it in so long as Station Eleven. Mm -hmm. And I just had never read it. It just missed my radar. My wife and we were sitting there and she's like, just read this book. And I'm like, what's the back? She's like, I'm not telling you, just read it. <laughs> it was the first time I ever read a book that I didn't know anything about it at all. I didn't even know the genre. Yeah. She's just like, you just have to experience it. So I love this book it just blew my mind and of course like it's exactly what i go and share with other people now like i love when you have something that you feel like you experience and you just want to give with other people it's funny you mentioned that um we had i interviewed emily st john mandel uh, a couple months right, ago she has a new book out yeah yeah the glass hotel which is really good as well and uh it was before all this and we were like dming on twitter back and forth when this all kind of started and I jokingly asked, I was like, do you want me to promote Station Eleven as well right now? And she's like, I don't think you'll, I'll need additional promotion. I think if people are finding it as, as we go, because for those listening that aren't aware, it's about a pandemic. It's basically a little bit of what's going on right now. So um, I know that you got to run pretty quickly. So one, I can't not, we got to ask one Muppets question every time you're on. 
have you one i was expecting half the podcast to be dedicated well listen i this is the least muppets we've ever talked i couldn't i was gonna say we got still we still have time my friend we still have time okay so first off have you have you watched any muppets any muppet content since you've been in quarantine you know what we did watch we we, my kids were watching um the jason siegel remake again Mm -hmm. which i really like i do like that i did i did like it you're making me think that's what I should show them is go back. Cause they've all seen the original movie. I know what, what, and then the one thing that did come for my birthday and it came right, oddly, my sister found it like weeks earlier. So it was right as this was all starting is my sister got me two things. She got me a, one of them I posted in, uh, but she got me a t-shirt that is the river bottom nightmare gang mm-hmm. um, t-shirt, which is just spectacular oh, yeah. from the Muppets um, from Emmett Otto's Jug band Christmas. And then, what I did post on Instagram and Facebook and some places is she had made in Bulgaria an action figure, a little knit action figure of Emmett Otter. It's like little Muppet likeness that it sits on my desk. I'm staring at right now. Cause it's literally, I was like, this is desk worthy. Like it's, yeah, yeah. Um, and that was, you know, that's just, I, so I, I basically watch a little Muppets every day because of that. That's, I do. I feel like on the however many five or six times we've been on the show, I think no matter what time of year it is, we do at least mention Emin Otter at least once. Well, it's you know, it's my favorite thing, and the thing that's killing me right now is that um, the the Jim Henson exhibit was I think starting to tour because I know that friends of mine had gone to see it in New York just as everything was hitting, and you know, people always I, I don't know I think it's probably I don't we never really talk about it, but like where does your money go when you buy an author's books? And our money goes since the start of my career. We donate 10% of every dollar we get goes back to a charity of our choice. And one of the ones that we've picked, of course, is um, we work with the Jim Henson uh, Foundation there. And we spot when that exhibit comes around and all this is done and we can go back to, you know, caring about the things from our youth. um, One of the things that we sponsor was the refurbishing of Big Bird in that exhibit. So if you go up to the Big Bird in the Jim Henson exhibit, um, you can like look at the little plaque and our names are there because we, that was what we helped do. And, and it brings me no small amount of joy to have a friend like going to the exhibit and then being like, dude, you know, your name is on this thing. And I'm like, Oh, I love that. Like, so that is just, you know, forever an important part of like just what I think you got to be dedicated to at all times. Last, uh, last fall I went, I was in Atlanta for, it was like, a yeah, real, I was in Atlanta last year. Yeah. Yeah. It was like a real turner. I was like an in and out. I was going down to interview these two young adult authors who were from that area. It was in front of a school and it was a blast. We had so much fun. And I found out about that it was there, but I just didn't have enough time. And like they, Oh, I thought you were going to tell me when I'm like very impressed. No, no. And they have the, um, I can't remember what it's called. Time ahead, but like they have the, there's a museum there that's there all the time. And it has like the original hoggle, and um it's like they have it's in atlanta and I yeah just, it's like the something of the movie is it the, is that the movie night or yeah. is the new york one the movie night um i think that's the one in atlanta and it like broke my heart but um yeah they have good stuff well, i i when i went i think i told you this and i apologize if i'm repeating myself but the first there was a show a decade ago that was called um celebrity bucket list mm-hmm. and their definition of celebrity was really low because they picked me and and they said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I want to go to Sesame Street. Oh like, yeah, you told you have you I told have you. A, you in your likeness, right? And no, no, I well, I have a Muppet, but but basically, when we got there, we went to the Henson Workshop and obviously Sesame Street, which was amazing. But when we walked in, 
the first thing we saw that we noticed was Emmett Otter, like there was obviously a big bird and a Grover and everything else, mm. but there was this Emmett Otter thing. And I was like, I'm going to burst through this case and steal this and run out before anybody notices. <laughs> oh man. I will say I, uh, the one thing, and I don't know that she had ever seen it. I showed my wife, um, Muppet Treasure Island a couple weeks ago. With Tim How does that hold up? It's great. It's great. Tim Curry is phenomenal. Um, Tim Curry is phenomenal. I do remember that. He was, He's such a good actor. He's great. The uh, the I can't remember what the actor's name is who plays the young boy, but he sings and his voice is so high pitched it like almost sounds surreal. But it's it's fun. It's zany. It's um it's not like I wouldn't put it in like my pantheon of have to watch Muppet things. But for having it on when we're both working from home and like I looked over and a number of times she was like not working and watching the movie. So it, it's definitely entertaining for sure. So. Well, it was interesting. We did it. You know, the hardest thing, uh, craziest thing is since we've spoken, we launched based on our kids books, the I am kids books. Mm-hmm. We launched a TV show based on the kids books and our, our release date. So PBS here, you know, the PBS comes to us and they're like, Oh, we're picking the release date. And, and the release date, truthfully, it, it's not, it doesn't really change every year. It, it, mm-hmm. it happens on, you know, they launch one in the, at, at in like January, February, and then they launch one in like September, October, November, December, somewhere in there. It's like beginning of the year, end of the year. That's just when they do their launches. And so our TV show is coming out on the I am books and we're all excited and we're waiting for our premiere date and they give us a premiere date and it was November 11th. It was 50 years and one day after Sesame Street premiered. And I was like, no pressure whatsoever. Right. (laughs) Like, but it was obviously, you know, every time we go there, they, they know that what that means to us. And so like you getting those free DC comics when I go to PBS for our show, they always will, you know, someone will give me some amazing Mr. Rogers or Sesame Street little thing. And we did this big event at the, at the uh, Library of Congress. They presented us with like this incredible Jim Henson picture and photograph from when he came to Capitol Hill. So he, in a strange odd way, he's, I feel like he's, we are constantly uh, seeing him over our shoulder at all times. Well, and I will say, speaking of your I Am books, just really quickly, I, you've been doing, like, you've been doing the YouTube stuff where you read them. And, oh, uh, you watch the story times? Oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, I have nieces and nephews, so I show, I send to them. But I, I literally, I was excited. I learned how to do. I learned how to draw Abraham Lincoln the other day. Yeah, uh, that was a good. Chris is so good at those, right? He's say, so you can, good. You can thank Chris for me. But all right, last question for you, and then I'll let you get accent again. Another one of these to do. But what do you hope uh, readers take away from the Lincoln conspiracy? You know, this it's funny. This is like the first interview I'm doing for this book. And I will, you know, I always like the first one, I always pick someone who I know and love and I will ask me good questions. But like, uh, but I haven't even, you know, I'll, I'll tell you, I, I do believe you'll, you see when you read it throughout. And I'm curious if your family members or, you know, when they read it are, are going to, he's going to have the same reaction. But I, you know, I obviously I want them to, you know, say, wow, that was a great, amazing plot. And, and Abraham Lincoln was so great. And the Pinkertons were so fun to watch. And, and then the Secret Society, it's so fun to watch what happens to them and how their murder plot plays out and, you know, where they slip up and what mistakes they make and what they could, you know. But at the end of the day, I hope that what they really take away is just that reminder that whoever you look up to, whether it's Abraham Lincoln or Rosa Parks or Dr. King or anyone else has moments where they're scared and they're terrified and they just don't think they can go on. I hope that they take away is they see that Abraham Lincoln in this moment is just as scared and worried and amazing and, and small and vulnerable and incredible and magnanimous, you know, sometimes all in, in the same day mm-hmm. that Abraham Lincoln, what you take away is just that he's just like us. 
right? He obviously does amazing things with his life, but he's no different than us. He's no better than us. He's just, you know, has different responsibilities than us, but he's just as human as the rest of us. And I think if you do that, that what you truly take away is you see your own power and you see just how amazing you are. So to me, that's my dream. Like, yes, I, I hope you turn the pages quickly and I hope you get engaged with the book, but I hope you take away a little bit of your own power because that's, that to me is the real purpose of it. Grant, as always, you are the absolute best. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, love being back. Thanks. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Rakuten Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. My name's Adam Sokol, and I'm the host of the Passions and Prologues podcast. Every week, best-selling authors like Jenny Jackson, Rebecca Mackay, Lisa Scottolini, or Brad Meltzer come on to my show to talk about, yes, their new books, but more importantly, the things that they're crazy passionate about. We've talked about the Muppets, powerlifting, traveling, gardening, home improvement, and so much more. We dig into why these things are their passions, how they inspire their writing, and where they came to fall in love with these random assorted things. Be sure to subscribe to the Passions and Prologues podcast wherever you get your podcasts and check out evergreenpodcast.com to learn more.